Gopher fans, it's Phil Mackey here with a question for you business owners specifically. Have you ever had an insurance claim that left you feeling like you got sacked in the end zone? When something bad happens to the company you built with your blood, sweat, and tears, you don't want to be left sitting on the sidelines waiting to get back in the game. You want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Your local federated representative is ready to create a custom playbook of specialty insurance products and risk management strategies for you. Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Boys, is there is there anything better than the snare drum after a win? After going 11 11 wins on the season we get to end it with with the we get to end the season with a with an episode of the score north gopher show snare drum after the biggest day for gopher football since the dwight d eisenhower administration was in its final days wow as good as it gets we're going that far back we're going way back (laughs) murphy Well, let me let me introduce everyone first uh, as as you might know. I'm uh, I'm James Murphy. I traditionally uh, lead the weekend edition of the Score North Gopher show. With me as as uh, per usual via the telephone is Daniel House. You can find him at Daniel House NFL on Twitter. And we do have the entire squad back because as you heard uh, just now, Ross Brendel joins me in studio. You can find him on Twitter at Brendel Ross. Ross Daniel, uh, big game on Saturday, I think. For my money, that was the best game I think the Gophers have played all season. I think the the Penn State game is right there, but start to finish, I, I think that was one of their best performances of the season. I'll take it first. Excuse me. I'll take it first. I'm just always choked up with you, Murph. Yeah, Why does that always happen? You're, no, you're, you're too good to me. <laughs> I'll take it first, and then we'll we'll segue into house on the telephone. Uh Start to finish, yes, it it is the best game that they've played. And a little bit classic Tanner Morgan fashion, he gave up one early, and he just from there on out was nearly flawless. He almost threw another pick, I think, was it late second quarter, mm-hmm. early third quarter? Mm-hmm. But that was about it. Other than that, pinpoint precision, pinpoint accuracy, great decision-making, moved around well in the pocket when he had to. The running game was fantastic, and it largely just was not in November. I know I spent a lot of time belaboring that point. Uh, Mo Ibrahim, 20 carries, 140 yards, and a touchdown, and that was just one guy. Rodney Smith played well, too. Tyler Johnson, I mean, what more can you say? It's not just that catch in the back of the end zone. It was everything else that he did, over 200 yards receiving. What was Tanner Morgan, almost, what, 66% passing, and the defense the defense, that's what I was worried about the most. They held up exceptionally well, and I thought very key for them early on after the turnover to hold Auburn to that field goal. And again, let's not forget special teams gave up a touchdown. So 10 of those points for Auburn, yeah. I don't want to say handed to them. Auburn still had to earn it, but the defense, I thought, played exceptionally well. And to me, it's as big of a reason as the offensive output that they're Outback Bowl champions. And for me, we talked about this, and I know I think House will back this up a bit too. You hear the name Outback Bowl, and it's actually one of the sponsor bowls I don't think most people snicker at. It's been the yeah. Outback Bowl since the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. That bowl game's been played for, I believe this was the 34th edition. 
a legitimate New Year's Day bowl. Has it has it always been a, a January first bowl? I that I wasn't sure. Yeah, boy, as long as I've been watching college football, it has. Okay, and that would have been into the into the late nineties and into the uh, early two thousands. Uh, again, I'll, I'll get this out of the way. I think it's the best day. I, I said on Twitter in history, it probably isn't because of the national championship games that the Gophers won, but it's it's pretty darn close. And and when you think about Wisconsin losing another Rose Bowl in just heartbreaking fashion, which <laughs> to me, I'd rather see them lose a Rose Bowl that way than by fifty two points, because I I I, I like other people's pain. <laughs> It's to me. To me, the day was as good as it gets on on New Year's Day, and I really do believe, even if the program was to take a mild step backwards next year, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a dramatic step backwards. I think it would be somewhere along the lines of a Holiday or Gator Bowl. I think this this to me was just another great sign. This program is heading in all the right directions. Gopher fans should so enjoy what happened on New Year's Day. Halsey, I want to kind of tee this up for you because we talked about it, you know, extensively in our podcast last Friday. Um, the Gophers really, I thought, won at the point of the attack on the uh, on their offensive line. You you saw uh, 200 yards rushing uh, that that they were able to they were able to get on the ground on a really good Auburn defense where they haven't. I, I believe they they average about 115 yards a game. The Gophers were able to get over that in the first half. So winning at the point of attack, that that's something we we said they needed to do as well as protecting Tanner Morgan and and even getting to uh, getting a little pressure on Bo Nix. They did all of that, and I think winning at the point of attack was was a big factor in that in that uh, Outback Bowl victory. The thing that really stood out to me was the overall preparation for this game. I thought they looked ready to go. The scheme was solid. The rushing concepts really stood out to me. How they used inside zone for a large portion of the start of the game and then mixed in outside zone early on, they were over pursuing those plays in the second level. So they decided they'd run some inside zone and started having success with that. The O-line, when they started to use outside zone, they were really successful at getting to the second level. I thought uh, John Michael Schmitz was tremendous. He's really progressed nicely now that he's getting uh, extended playing time and Schluter on the edge was was really getting some blocks uh, to spring some runs for Muhammad Ibrahim, and it was a collective effort. I mean, Dunlap on the other side. Uh, I just thought that with Falele out, it was even more impressive how they handled a, a front that's one of the best in the country. You look at the the havoc that they caused all year to be able to pound the football and watch Mo run like he does. I mean, that's a story going into the off season. Is this guy? He, his balance, his ability to pick up yards after contact, uh, it's just so impressive. And I see how they use the play-action game uh, to take deep shots downfield, especially the one to Tyler Johnson. They were biting so hard on that uh, outside zone and went over the top to Johnson for a big play. And I just thought that the, the whole rhythm of the game from Matt Simon was solid. He was aggressive when he needed to be, especially in – uh, the red the red zone there on the goal line when they called the uh, Seth Green pass to Whittem. I really like that play call. And then the fourth and one where they throw it to Whittem, uh, and he makes just an unbelievable catch. I, I just really enjoyed how they, they featured the tight end. They mixed up the rushing concepts. And then defensively, I thought they were extremely disciplined, uh, stopped the run well, uh, just looked very confident. The technique in the secondary has been tremendous. You saw that play right away 
at the start of the game with St. Juice in perfect position. Just the, the overall progression of this team in the secondary, you see uh, Rod Chance's impact on that group. Uh, I, I love the way that they took these three weeks and, and they continued to get better. You could really see a lot of fundamental and schematic strides uh, in, in a big spot. House, you and Manny, huge fans of Gus Malzahn. Uh, how fun was it prepping for you for this game, but then also watching some of what they were doing play out throughout the game? And I want to give him a little bit of credit. Same with P.J. Flack and his staff. P.J. Flack and his staff. Jeez. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you keep laughing over there, Murph. You just keep laughing. Um I'm not going to be like the broadcast crew and tell us every 30 seconds that both teams are trying hard. It's great that, was, that they both showed up to play. That, that was, was something. That was insufferable by like the middle of the second quarter. But I do think it says something that that convenient excuse for Minnesota winning the game and a good chunk of people saying, well, Auburn just didn't care. I think that that clearly went out the window. And it didn't work, House, but I loved the fake punt on fourth down. For Auburn, I love Minnesota dialing, digging deep into the bag of tricks. This game, to me, was everything a bowl game should be. It was fun. It was competitive. It had a very nice crowd. The Minnesota crowd was awesome. Trick plays. It was just a tons of fun. Yeah, and the way that Gus Malzahn throws so many formations and motions and different looks at you, the Gophers were ready to go. The, the discipline was just fantastic, especially in the second level of the defense. I thought the defensive line did a nice job. They didn't have to set a whole bunch of pressure this game like they had in other ones. And you saw players like uh, Boy Mafe who had clothes on that sack, and I, I just love what he has to offer in the future. He's going to be someone that slides into a pat, permanent pass rushing role and breaks out because uh, he, he has some of the dynamic traits that you're looking for. And just to see this group of players continue to get better and respond in a, in a big game against an SEC powerhouse, I just thought that it was so apparent how much preparation went into this game. And the, the schemes on both sides of the ball were just tremendous. I, I don't think they could have done it much better with, with uh, against Malzahn and you, like you said, with the 10 points, the field goal, and the, the kickoff return TD, the defense really didn't didn't allow Auburn to, you know, create explosive plays, and that that was the difference in the game. And they couldn't run the ball. And all year, when I studied Auburn leading into this game, they were most successful when they were able to get in a rhythm through running the football. And teams that stopped that, uh, they they weren't able to really uh, sustain any type of success. Boys, I really enjoy it, especially in the late the late stages of that game. PJ Flex' aggressiveness really paying off, and that was something that we had a a bit of a a, a bit of a contentious point with him early in, in earlier games in the season when maybe he he wasn't as aggressive as he needed to be. You know, I, I remember certain times when when they they especially punting um, in inside enemy territory. That's something I never like doing, but just his aggressiveness and 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 seeing it actually pay off, I think that's something where he might take a mental note of that and use it, uh, you know, going forward, maybe into next year and, and beyond in how he coaches football games. And I think that's a really good thing for this team. What, what do you guys think about his aggressiveness paying off in uh, in the Auburn game and, and moving towards the future? Well, what I see initially 
is exactly what you just said, Murph, and I look no further than the Wisconsin game. I think being a little bit more aggressive might have been a quick adjustment from him, feeling like maybe he wasn't aggressive enough in the Wisconsin game. And he had mentioned, I don't remember his quote word for word, but he had mentioned, hey, in the bowl game, we're going to be aggressive. Most teams are more aggressive in the bowl game because in all in all honesty, not taking a single thing away from the win, I'm just as ecstatic as any, maybe even most. If you're not in the college football playoff, you can afford to be a little bit more aggressive, right? You want to win the game, but at the end of the day, if it's not a playoff game, what have you really lost, right? I think you can be more aggressive in bowl games, and it was great to see because I submit to you guys more so than most. I think Minnesota winning their bowl game, there's probably only another handful of teams where it was maybe as important or more important to win the bowl game based off of how Minnesota finished getting this victory to get the 11th win going into the offseason and building momentum into next year because I want to get your guys' thoughts on this one thing I think that hurt Minnesota when it came to bowl positioning was just where the ranking was at the end of the year well now I mean they're going to finish what they're going to go into this offseason finishing somewhere around 10th who knows where it puts them next year but you'd Mm -hmm. like to think they're going to start off next year in the top 25, maybe even top 20. That's I, I would say top 20. And maybe, maybe Daniel, you can shed some light on this, but I, I would think top 20 has to be a lock at this but point. That's incredibly beneficial next mm-hmm. season, pending you can win eight, nine, 10 games again. No, I, I think the momentum heading into next season, you look at what it was like last year, the signature win against Wisconsin, winning the bowl game. This year, you take a New Year's Day bowl win into the offseason. It's just a way to springboard in every area of the program, recruiting national prominence, beating the SEC team on a big stage on national TV. Uh, I just think that this team, you look at what's returning offensively. you got almost the whole group coming back. The O-line uh, is going to be returning, which is great for continuity and being able to tweak things and continue evolving Uh, defensively they're losing a little bit, but they've also been heavily recruiting in that area and and developing behind the scenes. So I like the direction that this program is heading, and I believe that they'll be on the radar quite early next season because of the way that they played down the stretch. And, guys, I want to move on to the news that, that, um, that broke today. Um, It was official that the, that PJ Fleck, hired Mike Stanford as the as the co-offensive coordinator. They also do promote Matt Simon to co-offensive coordinator. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on on that because I I you know, I can't think is there another team that you know other than I guess the the Vikings in their situation where they have a couple different voices um on the offense. Co-offensive coordinators, how is that something that's that's going to work in in college football? And uh, just just the the dynamic of of what you know about Sanford and 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 Simon and how they might work together. Well, I look at it as an opportunity to bring in another perspective to the offense, become more multiple, add some new wrinkles. Simon is is just an excellent coach. You look at what he's done developing wide receivers. We saw his aggressive mentality calling plays in the bowl game. I love some of the backside actions and the leaks that he had to the tight ends uh, in some big spots and the, the TD to Whittem. I really like that design uh, and the one over the middle on fourth and one. Uh, I thought the audition, he, he did an amazing job just with the game flow. And it's, it's so difficult to call plays. I don't think people really realize uh, the, 
the you either really have it or you don't. So they were able to see what he did in a live situation, and he's been working behind the scenes and some Sunday night practices uh, on the play calling and. His his knowledge with the, the passing game concepts, especially with the intermediate stuff, blended with Clay Patterson, uh, his background, and Brian Callahan with the rushing concepts. Now you add Mike Sanford Jr. in here, who I think is really going to provide a lot of value with the vertical passing game. I see when I watch Utah State, I spent a lot of time doing it because I'm really intrigued by their quarterback, Jordan Love. You witness drop-back passing boots, RPOs, they're out of the gun, uh, and they really stretch the field with a lot of different concepts. I see the backs really involved in the passing game through screens, uh, wheel routes, some cool play designs for them, and then the tight ends uh, in kind of a hybrid role, split out wide. Uh, They can use them over the middle, uh, and they really play with a fast tempo. So I'm curious to see how that blends in with a team that's really heavy ball control oriented. There's plays where you're literally at 10:57 on the clock when the when the ball's caught, and they're lined up snapping the ball at 10:46. I mean, it's it's unreal how quick they get to the line of scrimmage. So from a passing game concept standpoint, that's where you're going to notice the difference. And I know a lot of people are freaking out about. Utah State's efficiency last year, Jordan Love taking a step back, but you got to look at the personnel that they had. They had lost a lot of talent in the receiver room. They were inexperienced there and didn't have a lot of dynamic weapons, so that really impacted the ability to be aggressive and push the ball downfield. So with the type of playmakers that the Gophers have, incorporating the backs and tight ends, getting more multiple with the the looks that you're throwing out, the, the passing concepts, Blending that with what they already do and Simon's knowledge of that and the assistance, I really like the idea of having a couple different perspectives. Uh, And we don't even know who's going to actually call the plays, but having those multiple perspectives is a great way to continue evolving offensively. Where you just finished up their house is exactly where I was going to go with this. Prior to this season, LSU brought in Joe Brady to be their passing game coordinator. Steve Ensminger, of course, the offensive coordinator. And there's collaboration there back and forth. That's not just exclusive to LSU. That's all around the game and obviously right now at Minnesota. But it's very noteworthy to see what it's done for the LSU offense from previous years to this year. It's kind of crazy to think there probably is still some room for growth for the Gopher football offense. And if they can go even further than they have this year and building off of last year, it could be a ton of fun, but when it comes down to that decision-making house, I know you said we don't really know who's going to be making that yet, but is there is there a way that you would lean, or can you even walk us through what that looks like? Because you only have so many seconds to get a play into your quarterback, and there's only so many seconds on the play clock. So how how is that going to work game day? And just any idea where you would go and just the schematics of how that is typically handled? Well, I would I would guess that possibly one of them's on the field and up in the box to provide two different perspectives. Maybe they approach it kind of like the Vikings do with Kevin Stefanski. He's on the field, and then they have Gary Kubiak in the booth and a few other assistants providing perspectives, and then one guy's making the play calls. I know Sanford started in the booth, but he went down on the field uh, for with love uh, later in the season because he wanted to feel the flow of the game and he thought it benefited him. So it's a collaborative effort between the two. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how they, they will approach it, but 
Sanford has experience doing it uh, and calling plays consistently uh, in multiple different situations. So I'm guessing he's probably the guy. And then Simon's providing a lot of input as the game's going on. And they're working collaboratively on the game plan. But when you have two guys that with such uh, strong backgrounds and passing concepts and wide receiver development, I think this is the perfect way to add more diversity to your offense, involve the tight ends, involve the backs, drop some more creative vertical concepts to take advantage of the receivers that you have. Uh, I just feel like there's opportunity there with this offense. I agree, and I think it's going to be interesting next year because you are losing a decent amount of skill position players. Of course, Tyler Johnson, uh, the senior, as well as Rodney Smith. Shannon Brooks won't be there. So that that is a decent amount of skill position players who, who the, the offense did depend a lot on. You are, of course, returning Rashad Bateman, and he's going to be the, the clear-cut number one receiver next year. But you're you're looking to get you know more more uh more offense out of guys like Chris Ottman Bell, who really stepped up this year. And I think he, he had a phenomenal season, but, uh, you know, incorporating Demetrius Douglas and, and the younger guys too. So I think the offense, while, you know, they're, they're ushering the, the seniors out, out the door, it, it's, you know, it's going to be a prime opportunity for those other guys to step up. And I'm, I'm very interested to see exactly what that looks like next year. We saw it later in the year house, but is it fair to say the tight ends will be more involved in the passing game next year? One would think based off of what Murph just said with some of the talent that's leaving offensively, they might just by volume have to be more involved. Well, the Utah State games I've watched this year, and I'm really starting to dive through it now after the hire today. They really love to flex the tight ends out. So a guy like Brevin Spanford is going to be a really nice fit in this offense if they incorporate some of the stuff that Sanford's doing. This is an attractive job, I think, on the open market. I think there was a lot of interest for it just because of the fact that so many guys are returning. They have loaded skill position spots, even with Johnson and Smith leaving you got kai thomas coming in at running back mo is so dynamic and he's making plays and uh daniel jackson a wide receiver coming in from kansas and douglas a million a receiver from uh florida that they beat out miami and lsu for and they just continue developing these skill guys and with sanford's background at notre dame before that i really thought that i really think that there's a lot of opportunity for the gophers to uh, really flourish with Sanford coming in because he didn't really have the correct personnel last year. I didn't feel like it. Now he's walking into a situation where they have an established system and he's going to provide some other perspectives that maybe they didn't have before. Boys, I want to leave uh, leave the football talk here with this final point. So I think it's really important what this season did is, and P.J. Fleck echoed this sentiment as often as he could, he said, especially following following a loss, uh, following the the Iowa loss in particular, that was that was a very disappointing loss this year, just based on where the Gophers were at that point. But he, what he what PJ said was that Gopher fans who are waiting for that other shoe to drop, uh, so to say, or you know they're just expecting that that next loss to come, they need to just forget about that entire that entire philosophy of go for football. This is a new regime. This is a new program. It's a new coaching staff, new players. Everything's different. Nothing's the same as, as what you may have expected before. And I think that led a lot of people like me into maybe wanting a, a bowl game that might be a little bit more winnable than the Auburn game.
game. And I mean, I'll I'll fully I'll fully uh, uh, share share this. I I I picked I picked Auburn to win that game. I I put my own money on Auburn to win that game. And I didn't think the Gophers would be able to have the strength to battle with with a tough SEC opponent. And I was like Ross. I know Ross was hoping for a Tennessee matchup. That's that's something that he had brought up. We, oh no, we, I wanted Auburn. You, but I, you, yeah, but I want I want no Alabama is what I you said. wanted Alabama. Well, I know a lot of people were a little bit afraid of of facing Auburn or facing Alabama in in a in a big New Year's Day bowl game. And what the Gophers showed this year is that they are up for that that challenge. They are are a different team than w- anything we have ever seen before, and I think that's that's something to keep in mind going forward that this team maybe it maybe this team can surpass all of our greatest expectations. Yeah, and to be fair, Mer, full disclosure, I also picked Minnesota to lose. I never I never were frauds. Came, yeah, I, well, I never <laughs> came off of it. Just felt like a game that Minnesota very likely following to the, the, the Wisconsin citru- game. Well, just likely to the Citrus Bowl a few years back. They're going to hang tough. We know they're good, but it just feels like Auburn might have too much. Guys, the the final score on New Year's Day wasn't as close as 31 to 24 indicated. Minnesota dominated that game in the trenches. They dominated it statistically and in the end, they were victorious for the 11th win and they have definitely definitely raised the expectations going forward. Which is incredible to think about when you're talking about just how recent this team struggled to get to bowl games. And just last year they were in the quick lane bowl and they win 11 games this year. And you're thinking, boy, could it be better next year? Tim Brewster wasn't that long ago, guys. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it, it, it's the fact of the growth that that and let's give let's give a lot of credit to to Jerry Kill because where he left PJ with this program was much better than the program he had received when he started as head coach at Minnesota. So I think giving Jerry Kill and Tracy Clays that they built the groundwork to at least get the talent in the door that that eventually they turned into uh eight win season and 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 Tracy Clay has had a good season when he was here and then allowing PJ to bring in his culture and and take that next step that's something I think that might get overlooked as we as, as if the Gophers continue this path of success that we all are hoping for the, the real groundwork was done by by Jerry Kill and I, I want to give him a little bit of credit for that as well it's been a ton of fun lately they've played in a citrus bowl a holiday bowl and an outback bowl up next, Rose Bowl, yeah. college football playoff. Sure. Maybe Orange Bowl or Cotton Bowl next year. Who knows? Halsey, I'll let you put a put a wrap on this season as and, and kind of just, just sum up what you what you the feelings you have uh going into next year. I look at the moments throughout the year, guys, starting out with the Fresno State game, the high leverage play they made at the end with Chris Ottman Bell and Winfield with the incredible interception, the moments where you felt like their back was against the wall, but they always made the play and maybe they fell a little bit short in a couple plays here or there. They would have beat Iowa, and, and Wisconsin obviously didn't go how they wanted it to. But to end the season the way they did, with three weeks to prepare, coming in looking so ready, and physically dominating up front without Daniel Falele, that is the most impressive thing to me, was to see them vary those rushing concepts and just physically dominate a team that is one of the, that is one of the best defensive fronts in the entire country and to show that this roster is still so young the experience that they gained the returning talent on offense they have some holes to fill on defense but some guys have been developing behind the scenes they're continuing 
to inject talent into the roster through another strong recruiting class. I see the program continuing to trend forward, and that's the best part about uh, college football is just seeing a team grow and and continue to get better and, and progress. And in this market, it's awesome to see Gopher football getting talked about at this level in January, and that's going to be the expectation moving forward with P.J. Fleck and his staff and, and the growth that this program has made. Absolutely. And and I want to uh, transition a little bit into into Gopher basketball before we wrap the show today, because they they've been uh, they've been actually I've been pretty impressed with how they've played, especially over the last month or so. Uh, last time we talked, Daniel, was before the FIU game. Gophers did uh, beat FIU 89 to 62 at home. And then yesterday they go uh, on the road to Purdue uh, to take on the Boilermakers. And it's a double overtime classic game. Um, the Gophers do end up dropping it 83-78. They just kind of ran out of gas there in that second overtime. Uh, you could tell Marcus Carr had had a lot of the offense that he was creating himself throughout the, the second half and, and the first overtime. And you could tell he kind of gassed out. And just overall, they they just uh, you could see their legs were kind of gone. I, I know Gabe Kalsher missed a couple of threes that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think he'd miss. And I think a lot of that was due to the fatigue in that game. But all in all, I've been very impressed with how gopher basketball has looked as i mentioned over the past month and i don't think this purdue loss on the road really hurts them in any way what what have you guys thought i'll start with you ross what have you thought about the uh, gopher basketball at least over the last couple weeks you know i'll just i'll talk about the entire season i'll do it very quickly at the beginning i was on like a scale of one to ten for on the discouragement scale we'll make that up as i'm sitting here (laughs) I only, yeah, I only gave it about a five. I wasn't all that discouraged because they were playing quality opponents, yep. and it wasn't like they were getting run off the court. Most games they had a leader were very close mm-hmm. and ended up, as you said, about the Purdue game, just kind of running out of gas a little bit. Yeah, well, they they like I'll, I'll give a couple of names. They played Butler, Oklahoma, Utah, all power five. I mean, Butler's not power five, but Butler's ranked team. Like they they played very good non conference opponents. Something we haven't really seen from the Gophers uh, until this year. Yeah, and it's a roster they're clearly trying to mold here on the fly. We we've talked about it at length. They lost so much from last year's tournament team. You've seen them bounce back. You get a win over a top five team. You play well at a tough place to play. It would have been nice to get that victory. But you know what? Again, early on in the game, it had the feeling of a game they just weren't going to be all that competitive in. And to come back, rally the way they did, take it to double overtime. And I don't typically get this way. I don't even really want to say this, but I'm going to. To take it to double overtime in a game where I thought you were taking on Purdue and to a degree the refs because I thought there were just some egregiously missed calls in, it, in a day and age where we review everything. They didn't want to call fouls on, especially on on Minnesota drives. It, they it just seemed like they were they they, it, they wanted to let it go even though people were getting slapped on the it, arm. And I'm sure Minnesota gets some of those calls at the barn that maybe the road team doesn't. It's just when you're watching it last night, it's a little tough to take. And in a day and age when we review everything in all sports that we can't sit down and review who actually kicked a ball or what is a kickball and what isn't that stuff starts to bug me but you know what it is what it is the record's fine I still think it it got tougher with the loss last night there still is a path to the NCAA tournament and if not you know what 
we'll see when we get there, but maybe you go to the NIT and you put together a run there. We'll, we'll see as the season goes on. I'm not giving up on NCAA tournament yet. Every game they play at Williams Arena, they're going to have a chance to win, or they will win. Yeah, and I'll 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 step in here before I toss it to House. I, I my expectation, I believe I texted both of you after the FIU game that this this team is a tournament team. My opinion on that doesn't change after the Purdue loss. You had a chance to win that game; that would have been a, a signature win for you, and it would have it would have bumped you. I up definitely. I think around five to ten spots in the net rankings if you win that game. But I think losing that game doesn't hurt you. And now the only thing to, to keep in mind is their their record. They are seven and six. That does look a little nasty. But if you keep in mind who they played and the teams that they have lost to, especially on at neutral sites and on the road, that's something to keep in mind as well. They lost at Utah, and I, I believe at Oklahoma was a neutral site game. So those, you know, you can certainly keep those in mind. They've been fairly good at home, and I think if they can continue on, you're going to have some tough matchups in the Big Ten, just taking a look at the schedule here. Um, in January, they play the likes of Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, who's been much improved, and Rutgers, who's been much improved. So that's what they have to look forward to but I think the big the big 10 is going to be a lot of infighting among the conference there's going to be a lot of back and forth and I think uh, there's going to be a lot of beating up on each other as, as conference play goes on but as I as I toss it to Daniel I don't think this change this game changes my thoughts on this team being a NCAA tournament team yeah I think the the big 10 this year is going to be really interesting because there's just so much competition from top to bottom. Any night you're going to have to bring it. It's been that way for a while, but to me it feels like it's it's even more the case. Uh, with those quality win, quality game opponents that they played early in the year, I think that's going to be really beneficial as they play some, some difficult games uh, down the stretch here. The, the thing that I want to highlight from last night's game is you just can't expect Marcus Carr to play more than 40 minutes. I mean, that's just really difficult. <laughs> You know, Peyton Willis being hurt, they need to get him back so they can take some minutes away from Carr. I thought he was sensational for 37 minutes, and then he's just gas game, and you can definitely see that playing a role and has those three really costly turnovers in big spots and tries to split a double team and, you know, just probably needs to pick up the ball, try to draw the foul or, you know, do something else there. But uh, this Gophers team is going to have a tough road because it's it's not going to be easy to make the tournament. You're going to have to pull out at least two wins on the road that maybe you shouldn't in order to do that. And last night they had a shot. That would have been a huge win uh, to get them pushing forward into that conversation. But uh, th- this team has to start getting people like Peyton Willis back in order to sustain any level of success because they got to, you got to divvy those minutes up a bit. Very few times will I say this because just like I'd say the football team at worst every year should go six and six and go to a bowl game. I believe the the basketball program should go to the NCAA tournament every year. With that said, I think you do allow if in a 10 year span, I think there is one or two years where it may be acceptable where the NIT is just fine. I do believe that that's that's fine for this team with all that they had to replace and just like you said house I'm not I'm not sure it's fair to expect them to pull out all those road games but again the conference like Murph said is going to beat up on each other it's a deep conference they they they're definitely capable of pulling off those wins I I don't know if they will either but it is nice to at least have recovered a little bit and get to this point and feel like when you're watching the game that it means something 
right? If this went the other way and the team was four and eight at this point, that wouldn't be a ton of fun. But but right now, I mean, every game is going to be meaningful, and yeah. that that I think is is all we can hope for with the losses that stacked up at the beginning of the season. And I can't say I anticipated this after. I mean, even though, like we said, we've we've been hammering this, but those losses were to quality opon- opponents. But just because of that, I, I it didn't mean I expected them to you know turn it around in Big Ten play. And they, I to, in my mind, they have. They've been playing a lot better. We've seen Marcus Carr really, really come out as a as a top player on this team when maybe we were a little unsure of what we were going to see with him and as Daniel bring has brought up a couple times on this podcast imagine what what the Gophers looked like last year if they were able to add Marcus Carr and 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 imagine what kind of team that would have been and it's it you don't really want to do that too much but it's just something fun to think about how far that team might have gone or if Amir Coffey decides to stay this year there's a lot of what ifs uh, that would that would you know change the outlook of of uh, of what season we're looking at this year, but I, I think both of you are nail on the head. It's this team is 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 young and it's exciting to watch, and I think it's something that we're we're pleasantly surprised is going to keep our interest through March and hopefully into the NCAA tournament. And uh, uh, Daniel, I want to give you a chance. Uh, to to pump your uh, your piece you wrote after following the the Auburn game and um, so let let the listeners know about exactly what you wrote there and where they can find that. I did a full game breakdown on ScoreNorth.com. You can check it out there. And now I'm starting to go through and capture some of the key things that I've noticed this season from Mike Sanford. So you can check that out on my Twitter account at Daniel House NFL. Perfect. And so just for a, a little housekeeping business, uh, with the with Gopher football being over, that's that's going to end our uh, two-time-a-week podcast. We will still obviously cover uh, other Gopher sports as, as, they move, as we move deeper into the winter, but just wanted to give you a heads up there. Um, you can definitely expect to hear from us, uh, you know, for, for more Gopher, uh, Gopher basketball talk, and, you know, we'll get into other things too. But for Ross Brendel, for Daniel, house and i am james murphy i want to thank everybody for listening to another to our, our first football season of the score north Gophers show we've been really excited to bring that to you each, all we do is win <laughs> each and every week i want to thank ross and thank daniel as well as all of our guests uh manny hill and and phil Mackey, darren doogie wolfson and others on the score north Gophers show